Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Really, there is a global uh, crisis, immigration crisis. Uh, we, of course, in the United States, we think of our southern border primarily. But uh, I'd like to point out that last Sunday, Pope Francis called on the international community to stop deporting migrants to unsafe countries. And um, uh, this is something he's done before. He had in mind the 7,000 or so who are being held in camps uh, in Libya, because Libya is kind of the portal uh, to Europe for those who are fleeing uh, their situation in Africa and other areas of the Middle East. With me right now to talk about some aspects of the immigration problem is Danilo uh, Zak, uh, Senior Policy and Advocacy Associate for the National Immigration Forum. Uh, you can learn more at immigrationforum.com. We'll have all the uh, websites linked at our site as well. Danilo, good to have you with me. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, when people, uh, what percentage of those who are coming across the U.S. border make a claim of asylum that they are fleeing, you know, uh, unjust, unsafe conditions in their homeland? Yeah, that's a great question and actually one that, that we're not quite sure the answer to based on the data that gets released. And part of the problem is that a lot of people are being returned right now uh, without the option to make that claim. So, you know, there's a process in place called Title 42 where, you know, over half of almost everyone who comes uh, is sort of being immediately pushed back without having the opportunity to make an asylum claim. So we don't know, you know, how many of those people would want to make an asylum claim yeah. of those who do get through a lot of people are making claims. Yeah, yeah. So how does, I mean, what's the criteria for assessing? I, I mean, I, I, you have to imagine, given the fallen nature of human beings, that th there's going to be asylum fraud, right? Yes, of course. And yeah. asylum fraud is a real problem, and, and for that reason there has to be a really strong adjudication in place to make sure that those who are making asylum claims are properly judged and that the evidence they provide can be taken into account. So, you know, what they have to prove essentially is that they meet the international definition of a refugee. So that's, you know, they have a well-founded fear of persecution on the basis of one of five grounds, you know, the race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group, or their political opinion. Um, and they have to demonstrate that really through a number of different legal stages. Uh, they are required to repeatedly provide documentary evidence and testimony to substantiate their claims. And so those who may have fraudulent claims are often, you know, weeded out in this pretty extensive legal process. That uh, sounds complicated. How long does it take? Well, that's one of the real issues in the asylum system right now. Yeah. Um, it can take over three years to go through the entire uh, process. Wow. Now, there are some, wow. you know, procedures in place where those who clearly don't have legitimate claims can be quickly returned. Um, but for those who are suspected of having legitimate claims, it can take a long time to go through the immigration court system, which is really heavily backlogged. Um, but I think if I understand what you said earlier, the simple denial uh, of an asylum claim is not necessarily uh, a, an adjudication uh, of asylum fraud. I mean, people get turned back uh, before they even enter the process, right? Yeah, that's true. So there are some people who are turned back without even getting a chance to make a claim. Yeah. And there are other people who make a claim and um, have that claim denied. And even that's not necessarily 
evidence of asylum fraud. Okay. And the reason for that is because there's such a high um, eligibility requirement. So an example I like to give often is um, the case of two mothers who worked for a school board in Honduras. And there was gangs who were recruiting in their school for the children. Um, and they were trying to get the gangs out of that school. And they were threatened. Their lives were threatened and their children's lives were threatened. Both came to the U.S. to make asylum claims uh, on the basis of this threat. And it's actually really difficult, even when the judge acknowledges that there's real persecution that they're fleeing from, for, for people to receive asylum based on gang violence, um, which is just an aspect of our asylum system. And so one of those women received asylum in the U.S. and the other one didn't. And that's just a matter of the judge they, they were before and the quality of the evidence they were able to provide. Oh. So. I really want to make clear that those who are rejected, which, you know, there can be a sizable number of people who make claims and are rejected. That's not necessarily evidence that they're trying to intentionally mislead the asylum system. Um, it can just be that they didn't have the evidence to, to demonstrate asylum or, um, you know, for whatever reason, the persecution they face doesn't rise to the status of, of persecution that makes someone eligible for asylum. How many asylum applicants uh, end up missing their court hearings? Yeah, so that's another good question. I think there's a lot of misinformation about uh, that question. So when it comes to asylum applicants in particular who are going through the normal asylum process, 95% make their court hearing. So only 5% are, are ordered, you know, deportable in absentia, it's called, because they missed their hearings. But there are some pilot programs where they're trying to do rapid uh, asylum cases that results in um, higher rates of uh, people missing their court hearings. So there's mm. a pilot program for families where it was a very high rate that sometimes gets cited. And, you know, in the Remain in Mexico program, which was implemented you know, under the Trump administration, there was also a high rate of people missing their, their court hearing. So in certain programs, it's pretty high. But when taken overall, the vast, vast majority of asylum seekers are able to attend their court hearings, and they do so. I mean, this sounds complicated. I, I'm, I'm just wondering how equipped uh, uh, immigrants are uh, are they prepared for this? I mean, do they arrive with evidence? Do they, do they have a portfolio? Do they have lawyers? Uh, do they get lawyers assigned to them? It just, I mean, it sounds yeah. pretty shaky. Yeah, it, it is shaky. I think that's another big issue with the current asylum process is that um, you know most asylum seekers aren't able to access counsel, mm. and because it's such a complicated process, I know you know people think the asylum seekers come to the country, they just tell their story, and that's it. But they do need to provide a lot of documentary evidence often. They need to submit a form officially applying for asylum and go before all these courts and, and asylum officers to sort of relay their story and, and provide testimony. And most of them don't have access to a lawyer. What we also find is those asylum seekers who do have access to a lawyer attend their asylum hearings much more frequently. They're more likely to receive asylum, of course, because they're, they've been given advice on this complicated system. So it can be a real issue, especially for children, especially for particularly vulnerable you know, women and families who, you know, are in particular need, I think, of some assistance through this very complicated and long process. Mm -hmm. um, uh, is the United States, a lot of uh, public attention is, has been in this being given to this immigration problem uh, on our southern border. Uh, mm -hmm. Are public officials... Uh, the, the Congress, the executive branch, uh, are they prepared to actually uh, create uh, a system that can handle these cases? 
I mean, I, you get the it's just such a constant drip, drip, drip of bad news. It makes you wonder if there needs to be an entire revising of the whole process, uh, which would, which I would imagine, would take considerable money. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the way I look at it is that what the American people don't want is a system that's disorderly, is a system that's insecure, not providing welcome to those who really need it right. and not figuring out, uh, you know, creating chaos at the border. I think that's what when people see chaos at the border, that's what really concerns them. Yeah. And so we really do need a more orderly asylum system. And I think there are good ideas for how to create that. You know, the administration, I think, is continuing to use some, some of these processes that are helping to create chaos rather than uh, create order. For instance, um, what, what would be an but, example of that? Sure. So, for example, the, the process that's being used now uh, for many of those seeking protection is is Title 42, which was put in place back when um, when the pandemic started. And it basically says, we're just going to return everyone who comes to the border uh, on the basis of, you know, public health. Yeah. Okay. But over time, you know, that rationale has gotten increasingly less valid. Right. And the result is we, we have all these asylum seekers coming, we're returning them without, you know, kind of haphazardly into Mexico where they face some danger, we're returning them to Haiti where they face real significant danger in a difficult situation. And uh, we're not creating this orderly process where they can come in through ports of entry, for example, the official border crossings, make their claims before an official um, and quickly have a, have a case decided. And it is some of our resources at the border to hire more immigration judges, more asylum officers to make those those claims uh, you know, be processed more quickly. But I don't think the answer is the chaotic system we have today. Yeah. Yeah, no, it just seems, just seems crazy. Uh, I, how's your read of the American people? Uh, it seems to me the American people uh, are glad to talk about uh, immigration as long as they feel confident that they have a secure border. They they don't like to reward uh, illegal actions. So, uh, but I generally think we're uh, fairly generous people. At least we think of ourselves that way. We do. And we see, you know, in the case of, for example, the Afghanistan evacuation, there's a lot of support for evacuating those who are really in yeah. need yeah, and good really point. in danger. And, and, you know, we saw really support from all across the country um, for that. And the same thing is true for refugees. The same thing is true for asylum seekers. But, you're, you know, your point is well made. We need to couple that with a secure border an orderly border as well. And I think what concerns people is they see the border um, and, and these chaotic situations where a bunch of people arrive at one place and it seems like Border Patrol is not able to handle them properly, or we have unaccompanied children who are crammed into these tiny you know, living conditions in Border Patrol custody. That's what concerns Americans right. about our border. And when we can get that in, under control, I think there is a lot of welcoming spirit for those who really need protection. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know anything about the situation in Libya? Yeah, I mean, I've heard I heard a little bit about it. I think the it, it's it's reminiscent, you know, of of what happened in 2015 during the refugee crisis in um, in Turkey and, and on the islands of Greece, right? And also what's happening now in the U.S., where um, when we see some of these refugee crises and these people who are in dire need, you know, really trying to access protection. A lot of you know Western countries 
often, especially when there's a lot of people coming and seeking protection, their first instinct is, you know, to shut things down, to try to return these people to where they're originally from. And, you know, the, the problem becomes um, there's just, there's a real moral issue at play here when many of these people are really in need of protection. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's something that we have to grapple with. And we need to you know, figure out and devote the resources necessary to establish a, a really secure and orderly system for protecting people. Dean Miller, thanks so much for being here. I uh, hope we can call on you again. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Uh, Danilo Zak, again, with the National Immigration Forum, will have uh, their website linked at ours. Uh, we learned about them uh, uh, from uh, other guests that we've had on this program.